The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Breaking, a baseball news podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson here with T.C. Zenka and a ton happening through baseball over the last week. T.C., how are you? I'm so good. You know, just breaking news. Just every minute now, it feels like all the time. There's more news coming out. It feels like we are mid-season with the rate at which things are coming out. Some of them a little more positive than others, uh, but ultimately nothing that isn't really interesting, right? Everything is kind of captivating around the game. Maybe more so than anything else right now was the sudden mutual agreement between the Rockies <laughs> and former GM Jeff Bridich to step down. And before we even get into some of the context here, right, because context is always important, especially when we're talking about the Colorado Rockies, you see that news come across your screen, TC, how do you respond to it? You know, there's not, there have been a lot of times in my life, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old, so I've had a lot of jobs in my time. And uh, I, I can't say there've been a lot of times when me and my boss have been sitting around just kind of yucking it up. And we were both like, you know, what would be cool if I left, left my job, left this role right now. <laughs> It just didn't never come back. I don't know how you come to that mutual decision. This one feels kind of tough. Like usually the mutual decision thing is such a kind of a nonsense term. This one does feel like it's actually possible that that was the case because they have been so aligned in some ways. Um, but the, it was the time for, for Breitich to move on. And it was time for the, it's time for the Rockies to move on. And ultimately this feels like a, a good thing for Colorado. I'm glad that I'm glad for Colorado fans. I'm glad for them too, although I guess with any move like this, I'm always worried about what the move after it is. And I think that's really a good note to acknowledge some of the news that came out about the Rockies in general over the last few months. If you have not heard, they're a hot mess. And really, Ken Rosenthal, Nick Roke at The Athletic, they broke it down really nicely in a piece, what was it, I think early or late March, um, where there were a few really interesting quotes that came out of it. And hopefully these provide that context we talked about a moment ago. Uh, TC, I'm going to read these. And after each one, I'm going to ask you to uh, give me just a quick response. Like you hear this as almost a third party, the fly on the wall. How do you react to it? First one, as one industry insider put it, they say, let's try to be competitive without actually trying to compete. Yeah, shouldn't everyone be trying to compete? I mean, that's... (laughs) I don't, you shouldn't have to say it at all. So the fact that, you know, they're, they're saying anything about being competitive means that they're 
not probably putting the right product on the field, right? Yeah, and frankly, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, if you do have to say it, maybe that's the problem. Yeah, you know, we should we should be able to see it clearly. We should we should be able to tell if you're trying to compete. <laughs> <laughs> A theme across baseball, but we'll stick to the Rockies here. Many who deal with the Rockies, however, believe Monfort, the owner Dick Monfort, is the real power in the organization. Yeah, this is the secret to every team. This is the secret to everything that we talk about. We, all of us nonsense baseball obsessives talk about all the changes that could and should need to be made. It all comes down to the owner for almost every team. And it's just a question of how meddling the owner is. And in the case of the Rockies, I don't know if Montfort is, is meddling necessarily, but he is the one driving the ship. Driving the ship, I think, is a good phrase. We'll have to keep that one in mind for a little bit down the road because, if, of course, as with everything, like you're saying, it does come down to ownership. So let's move to this third one where we hear that in October 2019, Monford admitted to nixing a trade at the previous deadline in which the Rockies would have acquired a player whom he did not identify but was more than a rental. In hindsight, there may have been an opportunity to be a buyer that long-term might have helped us, Monford said. Short-term, it might not have done much, and that's on me. Which, that's the end of his quote, and this is how the, the excerpt from the piece ends, which seems to be the way he wants it. Now, what does that last qualifier mean? Does that mean that Monfort wants it to be, wants the, the impact to be short-term, or that he wants the, the blame to fall on him? I think it's more that he wants to be in the center of this. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the case, and that's a problem, especially for somebody who's not all that connected I mean, for somebody who owns a baseball, he's about as about as like not connected as you can be while still owning a baseball team like within the baseball world. By not so, connected, you mean not not with a history in baseball, right? He he, right. I think his family made money from what meat packing or something. Yeah, cattle cattle ranching. Cattle ranching. That's what. Uh, was, yeah. So. Yeah, and, and otherwise, I mean, I think that's the 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 big takeaway here is that he wants to be the be all and end all in Colorado. And as far as like the actual deal, I mean, it's, it's hard to know without knowing who the player is. Yeah. As you can be long, it could have been a good deal, but it could have, could have been a terrible deal for all I know. Just knowing that the guy could have had a long-term impact doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. No, it doesn't. Especially like when it comes to what impact means for the Rockies in recent history, that's a murky question Right. Uh, with all the, the decisions they've made. I mean, uh, you go back through their recent history, especially, and it's like really after that playoff run they had in back-to-back years, they fell apart. They didn't even fall apart. It's like they just blew up. Like intern, like they just they had dynamite set inside them, and somebody pressed the button, and they all just crumbled massively. Well, what happened was they had no money. They had no money to spend, and they had no way to improve their team. And then, right, everything imploded. The rotation completely fell apart. And they had no internal improvements, and they had no way to make any additions because they blew all their money on horrible relievers. Well, so that's that's an interesting point, I think, that you bring up. You say they have no money, but that was also the same time they signed Nolan Arenado to his massive deal of, what, eight years, $260 million. Yeah, that's why they had no money. (laughs) Well, but that's the thing. The contingency to that deal was like, Arenado was really emphatic saying this isn't going to keep us from spending money elsewhere, right? And they're like, no, 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 not at all. And then they kind of did. So, you know, this is an aside that just popped into my brain, but on a scale of one to 10, how much does that suck? 
I don't know, nine. It's not surprising, you know, maybe like five on the surprising scale, but maybe nine on the how much is the sex scale? It sucks. It sucks a lot. It sucks a lot for everybody. Like nobody wants nobody wants that. I mean, they don't want no. Arenado at the centerpiece of a horrible team. Arenado doesn't want to be the centerpiece of a horrible team. Which really makes me think of how you mentioned they they were aligned, right? And I even that phrasing is interesting. As as we're sitting here trying to build the context for you, I'm trying to to build through some of it myself, I think. Besides any any prep we have, hearing that Monfort and the front office were aligned, we're talking already about things going in opposite directions in terms of competing, signing Arenado to the long-term deal, uh, brilliantly giving him an opt-out of their own doing, not Arenado's camp, which was also weird. And then suddenly just not spending, totally disengaging. So... Could you clarify, if not for everybody listening, TC, for me alone, what it looks like for them to be aligned? Well, it's a good question. It's a really good question. And it's hard to know exactly exactly what it does mean. I mean, I think it means that they are that they have similar philosophies in terms of the team building approach, right? It means that they have a similar outlook on player evaluation, which I think is where with these two in particular, I think that's where they, are, where they were the most aligned is on player evaluation. And I think that that's where the organization needs the most help because of their, because of their uh, poor player development system, because of their small internal analytics team or non-existent analytics team. And I think that they have been working kind of on a, I mean, we talk a lot about consistency in front offices as being a, a good thing, really like, like it, that, you know, the twins, for instance, are one of those clubs that have just had very, very little turnover in their front office. And it's, and it's meant to be a positive. The Rockies are similar in that these in Braddish was only their third GM ever, right? This was a guy who'd been with the organization for a really long time. He and Monfort know each other really well. They are, if they weren't on the same page, Braddish wouldn't be there anymore. I mean, they'd been working together for a really long time and knowing what, how much of a hand Monfort wants in baseball ops. It feels like Breidich and, and Monfort must have been on the same page in terms of their team building strategy. And, you know, they were definitely on the same page in terms of, of loving their superstars and wanting to keep those guys locked in, wanting to continue to build around Nolan Arenado. It just, they didn't have the real plan to make it work. It's so frustrating to hear the end. I think all of it makes sense right up to what you said. They just didn't have the plan to make it work. And that's what really throws me. And it seems really critical to emphasize the the focus here on Momfort because, I mean, to a certain extent here, of course, you know, you and I, we have our reference points. Everybody has their touchstones in terms of what they're closest to. And mine is the Phillies. And I think of recent history uh, with ownership you know, making the the dumb money comment when they signed Bryce Harper or right around that time and then totally got inside his own head. And it seems like he really backed off and we'll have to see. And can you tell me any fans will be in the ballpark? That'll really dictate what we can spend. And for the same reasons, but maybe more extreme, I have some really big reservations about what the Rockies could do next because... Being aligned is one thing, being on the same page talent evaluation-wise, all that, but I just can't shake the image 
from my head that Momford is really like he he wants to be like first among equals type of thing in that kind of relationship. I don't know how viable it is, and I guess that's why we're here to talk about it, which really leads us nicely to Jeff Passan's piece in the aftermath of this one. Uh, you know, he Passan tends to have his pulse on a lot of things through baseball. That's how he ends up at ESPN. That's how he breaks these stories, right? Um, so. You actually brought this to my attention, just how much it really wrapped things up soundly or presented them soundly. So what do you say we go through some of the excerpts from that piece and see where we maybe get a sense of where the Rockies could go if we're kind of unsure about where they're coming from? Yeah. Yeah, I think Jeff Passing knows, like he was a real good sense of the game and he really does a nice job here laying out in broad terms what it takes to run a successful organization and then kind of specifically what it's going to take for the Rockies to put themselves in a position to win. And, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to figure that out moving forward is its own question. But uh, yeah, let's start with some of what, what Passon has to say here. All right. So you say, not you say, this is Passon. Uh, pivoting to this idea that the vision to hire a general manager who sees what ails the Rockies isn't altitude or home road splits, but scouting and player development systems that have failed. And the patience to understand that the Rockies will need years to dig out from the rubble of their own making, which means the next few seasons are as much about implementing processes that lead to success in modern baseball as trying to compete in the scariest division in the game. You hear that and you're like... To me, I, it's almost like the room goes silent and you could hear a pin drop after hearing that kind of evaluation. What runs across your mind when you, when you see that? Organizations, baseball organizations are huge engines. They're big systems and they need to run coherently from top to bottom. They need to have a coherent organizational strategy. They, do, they need to have the scouts working together with the analytics departments so that they're, you know, drafting the same types of players that, that their coaching staffs are able to develop and that their, you know, front office wants to see rise to the system. It's, it is this big, it's not just a bunch of teams working together. It's not just like trying to find these star players. It's a development engine. And for that to work, you really need everybody to be aligned on at least on certain, uh, you know, organizational North stars, certain things. And for the Rockies, that means that they're going to have to implement this whole new system, and that's going to take a lot of time for, to do it right. I mean, but at the same time, what other what other organization can you see just kind of revamping itself under the same ownership that has failed for long, for you know time and time again? That's the that's the thing that's that's hard for me. It's like, yeah, this like Passon lays it out. This is what you're supposed to do. It should be a long, arduous process where the Rockies are implementing systems organization-wide so that they have a clear path and clear plan for the players that they draft and acquire to make their way to the majors, improving as they come. And yet, I don't know that that's at all what's going to be on the on the docket for the Rockies. I mean, they've, they've thought for the last, again, it goes back to player development that we've talked about or player analysis. They have thought, Breidich and Monfort, the way they were talking the last couple of years, they thought every step of the way that they were going to compete. If that's the case, if they looked at those Rockies teams and thought they were going to compete, then I feel like I don't know what hope they have besides Montford bringing in somebody who he will listen to, who actually is going to be able to do what Passon says here and 
and develop a whole new organizational system. So all of that being said, what you're hinting at seems to be like a bare truth in terms of how to approach all of this, that there is not necessarily only one way to do it, but a particular way that requires a certain amount of acceptance and mental fortitude. Uh, you know, when, when we were looking at this as, you know, we this came out and we, we, we looked at each other and we were like, this, this has to be what we talk about this week. This, this is the story, right? Nothing is bigger than this in baseball this week. And you, you send me the passing piece and you, um, you make some comments on it. And this one, we just went over this little excerpt. You say, this isn't sexy, but it's the truth. Is that, that, that makes me think, given how we're describing Monfort at this point, is it something that, is he obsessed with uh, a, maybe like a flashy look, even though, like, I don't know how that lines up with past Rockies teams, but there's certain moves they've made. Does that line up with that, maybe? I don't think it does, actually. I don't think he's about flash. I think that he just has, I think he's actually very secure in his vision. I just think his player is like, player evaluation skills are really lacking because he's been he's people have been criticizing the Rockies for a long time now if he was intent on just kind of putting out a cool flashy product we'd have, we'd see different teams but he's been looking at this team and thinking oh they don't quite get us here we've got a system here that's going to work and they're going to see these these guys going to really step up and they're going to really show them what's what and then you know they come up with a 90 loss team again and and he's they're surprised by it and I don't know this is like the this isn't sexy. This is the stuff. They're not going to be able to sell any of this. Like the organization, the building of the organization and the build, the establishment of organizational processes, there's not much marketing there. There's not much that you can do. It's really about bringing in the right people and putting them in at the different levels and making sure that they're checking in all the way up the ladder and they're having their, their meetings, you know, twice monthly with each of their superiors going all the way up to whoever's <laughs> in their new GM. And it's like, that's not the fun. There's, not, there's nothing to sell there. You're not going to put that on T-shirts. But that is no, the, and, and, if, if they want to be if they want to be the Dodgers if they want to compete with the Dodgers that's what they have to do. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just imagining them putting out a T-shirt that says "We have meetings twice monthly." <laughs> right, like we communicate with our superiors. Like, yeah, you, you can't put that on a T-shirt. But that, that, <laughs> but if they did, I'd be like, okay, they're on the right track. Like they know where they're going. And that's the yeah, thing is like, like the, the, you know, say there's only one way to do this. There is only one way to do this, and yet like there's there's a lot of leeway within that. Like. Yeah. What your organizational principles are, how you decide to, to to structure your 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 system, like what kinds of people you bring in, what kind of fundamental things you're you're focusing on, are you looking at velocity, are you working at developing pitchers or drafting pitchers? Like, there's all, all sorts of different ways to do it. The key is just deciding what those ways are going to be, and then implementing them across the board. Now, the thing that's crazy is that I'm not sure the Rockies haven't been doing that. They're just really bad at it. They're just like they've just been choosing the wrong thing. It's like they've been sitting around being like, "We need artists. We need like we need players who are really good at painting." And they've done that all the way through, and they've got a really great painting organization, but they're terrible at baseball. And so I'm not sure <laughs> what you do with that kind of organization, unless if, like maybe they haven't been doing that kind of like. Um, well, we know they don't have an analytic system, so like we know that there's that part of it on field. I'm not sure, but. What is clear is that they need to set up new systems and it's got to become, it's got to come from somebody other than Dick Montfort. Well, and I, like this is what really kind of gets me is that part of their, uh, their, I don't know, their business efforts through the pandemic, they furloughed a ton of people 
did not bring them back when the season that was delayed eventually started. And they had people, they had, you know, different execs and, and staffers and analytic people doing clubby stuff, washing uniforms and doing groundskeeping. And to me, this is where it really goes off the rail. Like, that's kind of embarrassing. And, yeah. and you have people in the front office quitting and leaving baseball. Yeah, like leaving uh, front offices in baseball. That doesn't happen. They had half their half their analytics team quit. Like, yeah. if you get an analytics job in baseball, you don't, you die in that job. You, you just, you, that's what you do. You die in that job or you get shoved out. Like people don't leave those jobs. They're really hard to get. And so for, to see so many people leave that organization, it really speaks to the, the atmosphere that they had there, the work environment they had there and the leadership skills or lack thereof of, of Jeff Brightedge. And that's, so now we're hitting on a couple of things. Those jobs are tough to get for sure. Way fewer jobs than applicants more than ever it seems every year it's it's like people want to go into baseball and for good reason it's it seems like a lot of fun but uh ultimately you know it's with an org like the Rockies I think it's even more surprising because there is there can be turnover in front offices people who start out a couple of years doing various internships if they don't get the full-time job they don't see an elevation path they leave for careers that have them that offer more money but the Rockies like you mentioned, they keep people around for a long time. Like everybody, really. I mean, even one of their candidates we'll get into in a little bit to replace, to to fill this vacant GM spot. All of a sudden, has ties to the Rocky from the to the Rockies from decades ago. And one thing you said really sticks out to me that I I wanted to bring up is that you talked about a development engine where there has to be kind of like a, a procedural thing to it. There has to be uh, parts firing, like syncopated almost, right? Like right. one goes up, one goes down, and they're right. all working with the same process. How does how do you build that kind of engine from the ground up for a baseball team with the problems that we just described of, of you know, front office staffers going out to buy players tobacco? <laughs> Well, you need to hire people to go buy the players tobacco. <laughs> it starts there. You had to, to fill the organization. You had to get people in their roles and you have to have, you know, you have to know the people on top, whoever, the, whoever's running the show has to know that they can't be the, the analytics people can't be the ones doing laundry. Like they have to know what people are good at and they have to use them for the, like, that's the thing is if they can't do that, they can't utilize their front office people. What hope do they have of utilizing their ball players either? Like ball players are the same way. It's the same kind of organization. You need to be use people yeah. for what they're good at and develop their skills and help them shore up their shortcomings. And if you if you're the type of org that's using your your you know analytics sequel guys to go do laundry, then you're like you're clearly misallocating your resources and misunderstanding the strengths and weaknesses of your employees. And I can't imagine yes. that if that's true at the, on the front office front, I can't imagine that that's not true on the baseball side as well. Well, and that's the thing. When you have these, these, I'm almost thinking of like Ghostbusters and crossing streams, right? Like to, but it, but like with the inverse effect, it's, it's like it blows <laughs> up in their face instead of helps them capture right. the, the ghost. Uh, you know, that you, you do have a big disconnect with the players. That's part of the drive that, that Arenado wanted out from, right? Like he, he would bring these things up, these these new concepts with analytics that aren't necessarily even totally brand new. 
and they would fall on deaf ears or he would have to bring articles to the front office and say, why aren't we doing this? Or this is interesting. What could we do with it? Uh, when, you, when you have that, when you have, like we've mentioned, I think as an aside before, Charlie Blackman being the one to investigate why they can't hit well on the road after a homestand. And then that's being developed throughout the org. Like, I'm just, oh my goodness, all of this disconnect seems like in my head, I'm, I, you know, it, it's this viewpoint. We, ha- we have the viewpoint of being able to step back and look at all of this at once. And, and it almost seems insurmountable. And that's why I'm so curious about where things start first, because even one of this, one of these other, other passages from the passing piece, you really emphasize that I, again, I think is a, a sharp point to acknowledge uh, the the Dodgers are the best team in the game. They show no signs of relenting. The Padres are the second best team and aren't going anywhere anytime soon either. The Giants are extremely well run, have an ascendant minor league system. They're expected to start spending this winter. Uh, they have a great front office. We've even we've touched on in the past with Zaidi, and the Diamondbacks have uh, some of the best prospects in the game and could be competitive soon as well. Here's the thing. All of those teams are in the Rockies division. We're not talking about like great examples through baseball. They're all in the NL West. Yeah. The Rockies couldn't have a clearer path to rebuilding right now. And that's the, that's the thing that's been so frustrating about them the last couple of years is this has been true for a couple of years now. I mean, they should be 100%. They should be, Tanking is the wrong word because it has such a negative connotation, but they should be tanking. They should be trading off their players to get prospects back and rebuilding from the ground up. I mean, trading Aaron. The funniest thing about the Arenado deal is that was the right thing to do. Trading Arenado was the right move. They finally did it, and they just did it in such a blunderous way that they ended up having to relook their entire organization and fire their GM. But that's the path. They have. No, there's no reason that they should think that they can compete the way that Dick Monfort says every single year. He says that, oh, you know, they're looking at their pitching staff. They, he, the quotes from here after year are very confusing. He talked about how like, we haven't been able to figure out pitching with this new ball. We haven't been able to figure out pitching Corey's field yet, but we're working on it. And yet at the same time, he says that they're going to go out and compete in the NL West, which just makes no sense. I don't know why he thinks that they can compete when they haven't figured out how to pitch yet and they don't have any analytics people trying to figure out. I mean, they more than any, maybe more than any organization in baseball could really use the analytics department, helping them solve the thin air issue in Colorado. It's not insurmountable. Like now more than ever, this is not something that they can't solve. They can solve this. It's not a, it's not a cursed franchise. They've never, you know, they've never won their division, never won their division ever, ever in their life. It's not because you can't win in Colorado. It's because they haven't won in Colorado. You know, it's just same as the Cubs oh, weren't cursed over a hundred years. Yeah. You know, it's not that you couldn't win a world series in Chicago or in Boston. It's just that they hadn't done it yet. It's just yeah. that they had had bad people making bad decisions for a really long time yeah. in Colorado. They've been making the wrong decisions for a really long time. And if they just had analytics people in there figuring out, you know, what's the difference from, from when they're swinging the bats in Colorado versus on the road and helping them counterbalance that so that hitters aren't seeing the same kind of drop off. Like they can now, manufacture these these environments these hitting environments and pitching environments so their their ball players aren't so shell-shocked every time they leave Colorado but they haven't done that and so instead you have Charlie Blackman trying to figure it out on his own and that's maybe not the best way that's maybe not the best way to build your organizations to have your right fielder as your analytics department 
No, and, and so now I guess maybe we're hitting on a couple of things. One thing that as you were talking stuck out to me, talking about you need to build the analytics team at this point because they are the smallest in baseball and you did have people quit and you can't have them doing clubby stuff. But to do that, it's almost like you really need to hire somebody who you trust and to do that, you need a GM you trust and to do that, Dick Montfort might need to change a little bit. So it's almost like you really need to reallocate the way you might lead. And right. you really might <laughs> might need to reallocate the way that you trust people. And like you're talking even about the pitching stuff. This is forever. This dates back to Mike Hampton, right? It's a free agent. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> TC just rolled his eyes and shook his head. Like, <laughs> I heard it. I, I felt it through my core, the eye roll. It's uh, incredible but, how long it's been going on. And, but this is the thing is they have this incredible gift right now. It is a, it is a gift to have to rebuild. The Diamondbacks, they're in such a tough spot. They have Zach Gallen in their rotation right now. Zach Gallen is a stud. They have Kettle Marte, who's one of the most exciting young players. They have some real pieces to build around, and they're just buried in that division. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball, have been for a long time, and will continue to be for a long time. The Padres have some of the best players in baseball, they're, and they're going for it. The Giants have nobody whose name you know, and yet they're 14 and eight or whatever. Like the Zaidi is very smart they're, and they're going to have resources yeah. to spend. And they, unlike the, unlike the Rockies really know how to play to the strengths and weaknesses of their park. Whatever it is. I don't know they what do. it is about the Bay area, but San Francisco and Oakland, <laughs> those teams know how to play to the strengths and weaknesses of their park. And the Rockies now, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but it is such a gift to be in a situation where you, where you don't feel like you have to compete with those behemoths. Just tear it down. It's time to tear it down. Start fresh. That's the best way to do it. It just that's the best way to build a really to build a con type the type of contender that they actually want. Then that's the way to do it. You start you can spend the next three seasons tinkering and experimenting at the major league level to figure out how can we actually counteract the effects of, of Colorado and of course course field to make this work. And you and you and you can put aside the pressures of winning for a while and just get ready to draft all the young studs who are coming up through the through the, you know, through college and just start building the team up so that when those teams do falter, because eventually they'll, they might not falter on their own, the Dodgers, they might just be good forever, <laughs> but they've made at least, pact. but at least eventually you can be ready to, to counter them again. Yeah. And, and so if the subject of our big idea here is the, the Rockies front office search, the common theme across everything really does seem to be accepting uncomfortable possibilities and, Really interesting framing in looking at this as a gift because even the Diamondbacks are in a very difficult position. Like Marte is 27, I think, and like not that he's old, but by the time everybody's ready to compete, he might be on the, the back end, the back nine. Uh, the Giants are fascinating. They seem to know absolutely how to play to their strengths, uh, even finally adjusting the fences last season, and that seemed to yield some interesting results offensively. And, uh, you know, somebody yesterday was just telling me they're really designed to be platooned almost everywhere. And when you do that on purpose, with intention, deliberately, you have players who can rake and uh, in certain situations that they're going to find ways to get you into those situations. So that's something to look for. And what does a star level player do for that kind of team on top of, of course, the behemoths of, of the Dodgers and, and the Padres right behind them? Not it's, to mention, just you know, with that strategy, when you are platooning guys, then you're not so reliant on one guy, and you don't have to have Nolan Arenado for three hundred million dollars as the only solution to your problem. If you're able to platoon guys, that's why the Rays and A's are able to make it work year after year because they can let guys go, they can bench guys, they can they have they flexibility. Them. They can find guy goes down, all they need is maybe a guy who can hit 
left-handers. They don't have to get a new, like Matt Chapman goes down. They just went out and got Jake Lamb, who was not a perfect player, maybe not even a good player, but they got him because they know that they could play him against right-handed hitters. And they had Chad Pinder who could, who could hit against lefties. And they knew they could cobble together a basically average third baseman to make do for the rest of that season. And they didn't have to go make the big swing to, to replace Chapman, even though he is a star player. Right. And what you're describing there is really vulnerability, right? Like they did not leave themselves the Oakland days to be vulnerable. And that's kind of their thing, right? Like they, they have potential weaknesses, but they do seem to try at least to build around them. And that's what the other teams in the division have done in spades, really. And so you're saying it's a gift to be able to have this opportunity so squarely put in front of you to, to basically just take as much time as you need, which is not something that this world gets pretty much ever. While we're also in a period in baseball that has never been more open to tinkering. You're, like you mentioned, the Rays, they're at the forefront of the tinkering game in baseball. So <laughs> we've got roadmaps for everything. And maybe one of the most interesting quotes from this pass and piece at ESPN was t- basically, you know, tear all this down, take the time to rebuild, because even if you don't, the results are bound to be the same. Whatever the Rockies prioritize, they're not going to be good for a long while. And as long as that's the case, Passon says here, they might as well begin to cure the ills that got them there in the first place. But that requires knowing what the ills are. Does it not to know what kind of medicine or rehab you might need to overcome them? It does. It does. And, and to their credit, you know, Dick Monfort does not seem to want to fire Jeff Breidich. They were there were no real signs of this happening until it did. That was the thing. It was like, this organization is a mess and everyone knows it except for them. So that at least there's, there's some science here that maybe Monfort is listening to the outside world a little bit, or maybe Breidich was listening to the outside world and maybe it was mutual and, and Breidich forcing his hand. I, don't, I just think that they are actually, it's a positive sign that they're letting Breidich go, that they are listening to the, to the outcry from the trade. And hopefully it means that they're, really looking at it and and seeing what the what the flaws were of that deal. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see who they hire next and what kind of system that guy is able to put into place. I'm really interested to see how uh, the interim guy, this offensive tackle, is going <laughs> to handle it. Uh, what's his name? Let me find his name. Give the guy some credit here because he, he seems cool. Um, what is his name? Greg Fiesel. Greg Fiesel is the interim guy. He's going to take over for the rest of the year. He's their chief operating officer, so he comes from the business side. He's a former offensive tackle. I'm really interested to see how exactly he's going to handle this team the rest of the way because he doesn't have a history in baseball. He doesn't have a background in baseball. He's on the business side of the organization, and he's been put in charge of this thing for at least the next half season or the rest of this season, rather. And there are actually some big decisions looming to – of the Rockies' best players to the Rockies' only players that teams like are going to be free agents at the end of the year. And so they're going to have a decision to make on these guys. Trevor Story and John Gray, at the very least, you know, Fiesel can't really just sit back and say, oh, I'll let the next guy decide. He's going to have to make decisions here. Teams are going to be calling, and when they call, he's going to be the one answering the phone. And it's going to be really interesting to see what his what his take is, because from my point of view, if he's looking at this from a business perspective, there's no real rush to trade these guys, even though they're going to walk, you know, you might still want to have Trevor story play out the season there. And there's no, I think the price just went up on Trevor story and on John Gray, honestly, 
I think because of this change. Because of this change, yeah. I think that like for Brightish, it was a lot of pressure to move them. I don't think Fiesel has any pressure to move them. He's not the guy holding the bag long term. If he doesn't move them, it's still gonna fall on Brightish. But he's kind of looking at this from the business point of view, and he's and he has the opportunity now to say to teams like, hey, we are we are in the dirt. We are burned to the ground. I don't gotta move these guys. We're already we have as bad press as we can have. I only want to move these guys if I'm getting blue chippers back who I know the next guy, whoever he is, is going to like him. Cause that's the thing is like, that's, that's one of the only things they have now. Uh, you know, Fiesel is there now to set up a clean environment for the next guy, but right? he wants to set up the next guy to be in a position to succeed. And if that means getting back a package of, of who knows prospects that maybe, or maybe don't fit whatever the new organizational philosophy is going to be. I don't know that the upside is that there's enough upside there to cover the upside of actually getting people to the ballpark to come see Trevor story play. Cause they might still, people are still going to come to the ballpark to see Trevor story play this year. Right. Right. And I, well, again, really interesting way to frame it that the interim GM really has a great luxury of time too, because he doesn't have to worry about his job in this capacity. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of things that I guess, I guess that in some sense gives some hope to Rockies fans, baseball fans at large in this in this setting with Colorado. Uh, but another thing that gives me hope, we mentioned Breidich and we've talked about how leadership might need to be on the same page through various departments. The reports were also that he could be standoffish, he could be smartest guy in the room type of vibe, didn't really necessarily always say hello to players as he passed them, which is a very weird like Chip Kelly, Philadelphia Eagles type report uh, that just seems like it would breed trouble. And is there hope then that if that was Jeff Breidich's personality, that just to do something different, oftentimes a big breakup, a big change like this, right, leads people to go in a very different, starkly different direction. So would they go possibly to somebody who is more of a dynamic person in terms, not even just in terms of leadership, but just in terms of being a person, a little more open, a little more personable? I think so. I think that's, maybe the greatest hope for Rockies fans is that Monfort will realize that they need a new culture and that they need a different kind of guy to, to steer the ship. And if that may, means that, you know, getting someone who is more of a traditional leader rather than just getting somebody who he trusts from a baseball perspective, I think maybe it's certainly possible that Monfort has seen Breidich over all these last number of years as like his baseball guy who helps him make the baseball decisions and that the two of them together could figure it out. Right. But he maybe hopefully now is going to realize that they need actually much more than just Monfort and his GM and that his, whoever his GM is, is going to have to be somebody who does a better job of leading the organization on the whole and of bringing those personable characteristics that those leadership characteristics that it seems like brightish brightish lacked. And so that really, if we're going to focus on this idea of the Rockies needing to accept some uncomfortable possibilities, like, being out of contention for a long, long time and doing things very, very differently. There might be a way to do that sort of comfortably as much as that might sound like a paradox. So why don't we talk about these potential replacements, the names that have been floating around, because we know that the interim is not likely to be the permanent guy unless they really want to stay weird. And that gives us some names. You mentioned even consistency early and the first name that pops up for this job is Thad Levine, current GM of the Minnesota Twins. You hear that as a possibility for the Rockies. How do you feel about it? I feel like it's a lock, honestly. I feel like 
Yeah, he's the perfect guy. He gets along with Monfort. They have a history. Monfort wants somebody that he can connect with, right? He wants somebody that he knows. And and Thad Levine is the perfect combination of been somewhere else, has a good reputation now, has learned other skills, been with a different organization, built another organization up. He's been with the Twins. The Twins have done really well the last couple of years, so his, his reputation is strong. And yet Monfort can still see him as, you know, one of our guys. They can still see – it still plays into Monfort's, like, his loyalty and his institutionalism. And if Levine wants to come back and do it, then it, it just seems like the perfect fit. So the, the one thing that jumps out as you say that, all of that is is absolutely believable. But the one thing that jumps out as you say it is buying into a guy who has who can let Monford embrace his own sense of loyalty and institutionalism I wonder how much those two terms can really hang out together, right? It seems <laughs> like one might lead to the other, and the, the other isn't as productive as maybe the first one, right? Like that's w- That would be my hesitation. Uh, because Levine does have ties to the Rockies, right? He, he worked back there, the, I think, the late 90s through the early 2000s. Uh, but very interesting note on him and the Twins and their consistency is that they have built a really good pitching routine out there in Minnesota, right? They were smart enough to go hire Derek Johnson to be their their pitching coach. Uh, not Derek. I do this every time. Wes Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were smart enough to hire somebody else who was smarter than them, right? To, to handle players directly, to be in the game with them, working through plans, working through data. Do you think he could lure a similar prospect to Colorado if he got this job? Yeah, I don't see why he couldn't. I mean, I think for I, honestly, I think for baseball people, if if they have the right GM in place, then Colorado is a really exciting place to be, right? You want to break those barriers. You want to go someplace where you can solve a really interesting unsolvable problem, and that's what makes Colorado actually a fascinating place to go. Like, I mean, no one's calling me to be their GM, but if I could go any place, it might be Colorado <laughs> because it's that interesting. It's like you want to be the team that that figures it out. Like, Coors Field is not unsolvable. Like I said, it just hasn't been solved yet, and and I think that they, that there are, especially with all the advancements that are happening right now in, you know, bioengineering and, and, and analytics and everything else, I think that there are baseball people, there are pitching people who would be really excited about the prospect of figuring out Colorado. I think that's a great way to frame it again. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know anybody at the Rockies, but I would say call TC because I, I'm enjoying <laughs> the way you're framing all of this. The genuinely things I had not considered them framing them as because I was so caught up on that big picture zooming out. But the idea that it's not unsolvable, it just hasn't been solved yet, is very, very intriguing. If if nothing else, it, I don't know, it gives opportunity, right? I'd be horrible at the leadership part, though. I'd be in the room alone with Dick Monfort and be like, we can do this. You and me. You and me, bro. We can figure this out. <laughs> uh, but th- there needs to be good ideas in the room. I think that's relevant. Uh, and, and, you know, on the pitching side of things, when it comes to the Rockies and and trying to solve Coors and Colorado and the atmosphere. I don't know. Maybe they figure out a plan for fastballs instead of getting two-seam guys who throw a pitch that stays in the zone longer <laughs> in one of the most offensive-friendly environments. Uh, I, I, that, that would be a good start, right? Yeah, that would help. I mean, there's any number of things that would help. Even just, like, looking at numbers, <laughs> looking at, you know, advanced <laughs> metrics would be helpful. I'm just imagining them pulling in the count <laughs> from Sesame Street. Yeah. These yeah, are numbers. Him on, get him on staff. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Uh, so some other names aside from Thad Levine, 
Jason McLeod, a senior VP of player personnel by, uh, with the Cubs. Michael Hill, senior VP of on-field operations for MLB, of course, formerly with the Marlins. And Josh Burns, senior VP of those divisional do- Dodgers. All these names floated by John Heyman. Do any of these guys stick out to you, TC, in terms of maybe they'd be viable too? I mean, McLeod will interview. He interviews everywhere. He's, he'll, never, he'll never be hired, but he's, he interviews every single, every single opening. He's always something that's looked at. You know, he's been with Theo and Jed the whole, you know, from Boston to San Diego with Jed. And then he's coming, he came over with, with Jed to, uh, to Chicago. And he's, he's certainly somebody who has been, has seen the best of the best and has seen, knows how to run an organization. And I think working under both Theo and Jed or working alongside Theo and Jed has given him probably two really distinct ways to lead an organization and, and, you know, this, this was Theo's big thing, right? It's setting up these processes and same, same with Jed and, and figuring out the organizational philosophy and, and, and McLeod has been a big, big part of that on the player development side. And he could certainly do it. I don't know that they're going to go that route. Uh, you know, same with Michael Hill. It'd be great to get Michael Hill another position, you know, and since he's left the Marlins, it'll probably I don't see him getting the role either. There didn't seem to be a lot of excitement over Michael Hill. Um, and Josh Burns, Monfrey certainly knows him. I mean, he ran the Burns was the GM of the Diamondbacks. He's been there with the Dodgers. He knows the West. He would be a candidate that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, Burns has been with the the Padres as well. Who hasn't Josh Burns worked for in the, in the NL West? <laughs> the Rockies. <laughs> yeah. Completed all final piece of the puzzle. So is there anybody that you would want over Levine? I mean, you laid out a pretty good case for any of them for various reasons, all kind of different, really. But you're saying, do you think Levine is a lock or do you think you want him to be a lock? I mean, I don't know. I have no inside information, but I would think that Levine would be Monfort's first call. He just seems to fit the profile really well and gives Monfort both the like satisfies his desire to, to bring in somebody that he knows that he can feel close to and they can, he can feel like it's part of the Rockies family while also satisfying the, you know, public's outcry to bring in new and different voices with new and different thoughts. And I think, and in that sense, it could even be the right call. I mean, Levine might be the type of guy that Monford listens to and Levine might have the right kind of you know, we're not looking for them to become the Dodgers. They're not going to get Andrew Friedman. This is this is not going to be the like forerunners in analytics. We're just looking, but you don't have to be to, to have a successful team. I mean, I don't think the Twins are actually the, the I mean, they're very, Twins are very good, but I don't think that they're the most like analytics forward organization necessarily. They still focus a lot on their scouting departments and they're like kind of baseball people. And I think that that's going to be a, a philosophy that works for Colorado. And so I, so I do like Levine there. I think that's a, that's a nice fit. I also think that, you know, they've done such a nice job in, in Minnesota. You hate to break up those, those, those partnerships. For sure. But I think that you lay out a good case, really good case again for Levine, especially if you, like you're saying, they more baseball types, but not necessarily anti-analytics and also really, um, you know, like the, They've hired a lot of smart analytical people too. Let's not let's not overshadow that, but they do seem to emphasize communication, and that would seem to be like that's one of those things that's a soft skill that really gets overlooked in a lot of these types of situations, right? That that like 
it's not even just like, oh, let the guys be themselves or, uh, you know, they need to follow this data or that data point or use this tech or that tech. It's really just like being able to interact with somebody is a really critical detail when it comes down to it. Yeah, and... I mean, let me, let me read this quote again from Jeff Passon because this is yeah. it. This is, this is how you succeed in baseball. Quote, hire a general manager and tell him or her that for the next two years, the goal is to make the Rockies a model organization when deeply devoted to analytics, but not to the point where it blunts the effectiveness of scouts, whose opinions still can and do matter to the best teams. A place that embraces the notion of process, of systems, of the foundational elements that need to be in place for sustained success. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's what baseball is now. And the, the argument between analytics and scouting, it just clouds the whole, the actual concrete issue, which is it's both. It's both. It's hand in hand. You need to have scouts. You need to have analytics people who can talk to the scouts. The scouts are the ones who bridges between these departments. Both sides inform the other. You need the scouts to kind of tell the analytics people where to look. And you need the analytics people to tell the scouts, help them find the holes that they're not seeing on their own. It all works hand in hand. And that's, that's the big key here. Can they, can the Rockies get somebody who takes them far enough on the analytics side to make sense of it all? And I think we're going to find out. I think we're going to find out, not necessarily in short order, but we'll find out something pretty quickly. And so as we put a bow on all this conversation with the Rockies, let me ask you one final question. What percent of their rebuild is Dick Monfort getting out of his own way? Uh, 75%, 80%. It's a lot of that. It's yeah, I'd say it's most it's mostly that. I mean, Monfort, of course, has his has his say, and he's he's. I mean, he has to be successful. He, you can't do it without him. That's the thing. It's not about him. It's not about Monfort going away. It's not about Monfort disappearing yeah. and being replaced. He's not being replaced. He's gonna be the owner, and and Dick Monfort, you know, owns a baseball team. Dude's very smart. He's very successful. He knows how to be a success. But there are certain things that he is not doing very well. And if he can get out of his way, then that's, yeah, I think that's like 80% of the work. Because no matter who he hires, there aren't very many old school people, like truly old school people left in baseball. Most have accepted analytics. At least most who are going to be on the GM level have accepted it to a certain point. Like they may not all be Jason McLeods who are, you know, analytics first, but they are, you know, now that Bridges is gone, pretty much everyone else is bought in. Totally fair. And I, just as an aside, if you hear some jingles in the background there, that's my dog hopping in and out. Uh, I don't know if they're coming through the mic, but now you know that a dog has been in the room. So uh, this just was, got 10% <laughs> better for everybody. He was nodding his head in agreement. Enjoy. He was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Nothing to bark about, about that Levine going to the Rockies. Uh, but you know, you mentioned 80% as the number for Dick Monfort getting out of his own way to maybe write this ship. There is a sentiment that I've heard that 80% of any job is just showing up, right? The other 20% is just like sticking around. And what a way to show up for Dick Monfort to kind of get out of the way. Again, all these interesting phrases and, and flipping some of these ideas on their heads. And while that's fun for me as a, as a person who enjoys words, I think it's also fun in the context of the Rockies who need to do some things and flip some stuff on its head to maybe set things in a, in a positive direction. Yeah, and uh, again, which, it's not about Monfort disappearing. It's just about realizing his shortcomings and letting, letting other people, letting smart people come in and, and 
improve some things that they haven't done very well. Absolutely. So as, as the Rockies potentially embark on a road to accept some uncomfortable possibilities, uh, we are trying to accept more injuries. This week in baseball, again, bringing us a slew of injuries. Not very fun at all. So uh, I'm going to run down some of the list, TC. You tell me which guy sticks out the most, which one bums you out the most, who could hurt the most, however you want to see it. You know, the, the gut reaction to like, ah, oh, that one's the worst. Yadi Molina has a foot tendon strain. Luis, Ro- 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 oh, goodness. Luis Robert, flu-like symptoms, who's being put on the aisle as a COVID precaution, I think. Uh, Zach McKinstry, an oblique. Ugh. No. <laughs> Anthony Santander, an ankle uh, that's going to keep him out at least another three weeks. Jazz Chisholm, strained hamstring. What do you make yeah. of all of those? Who sticks out the most as the least fun to hear about? Uh, the Jazz one is really tough. He's been so good and so fun. He's really injected a lot of life into that Marlins team. They don't have a lot of uh, star talent on that offense. They have a lot of star talent on the pitching staff, but the offense doesn't have very many, you know, foundational pieces. And and Jazz it looks like he's going to be one of those guys, or at least he has been so far. He's been, you know, put up one war already. Has seven stolen bases, a number of home runs. Like he looks good, and he's, you know, he euro steps his home runs. He's got he's got personality. He's got blue hair or whatever color. Like he's awesome. He's very yeah. he's he's exciting and he's fun. Hamstrings can be a problem, so hopefully they're especially for a runner like him. So this is one that worries me long term. I mean, in terms of impact, Luis Robert he can't be out long. The flu like symptoms seems like it won't be that big of a deal. But I mean, the the White Sox. We've talked about the White Sox. They can't. They should not have Larry Garcia playing anywhere. They can't have him playing everywhere, which is right now kind of the way it's setting up. He's supposed to be their center fielder and their left fielder and their shortstop. So, you know, there's only so much he can do. A a note on Jazz. He is the only hitter in all of baseball this year to record a hit off Jacob deGrom and Corbin Burns. Uh, if If you have not caught him play... Catch him as soon as he's back. And like we're saying, that the soft tissue injuries, uh, non-bone injuries, right? Always kind of worrisome. I, I'm on that side, though. I, I want to I hear some more jazz through the course of the season. Uh, some other interesting notes. Spencer Howard, who we talked about going to the bullpen as a, <laughs> as a set position, and now he's got a routine. Going to the rotation. What is going on Phillies in Philly? What are they doing out there? It's like no one asked you to make this, to, to make this definitive <laughs> statement. No one said you had to come out and say that Spencer Howard's going to be in the bullpen all year. That, that wasn't something you had to do, but you came out, you said it multiple times. You stood by it. No, Spencer Howard's going to work out of the bullpen this year. We're not going to have him starting. He's going to be a couple inning guy out of the bullpen. He's going to be there all year. And now you look like fools. You look like just complete idiots. And now it's like, well, we're going to send him back down to the minors and get him stretched out so we can have him in the rotation. You I know, mean, it's, it's like, so frustrating. You guys, what are you doing? So frustrating. So like the, the more you write, the more you end up kind of removing yourself from the fandom, right? But it's always there. It's always a part uh, of your psyche a little bit when it comes to processing the game. And it's so frustrating because they went out and made that declarative statement for who? For Matt Moore and Chase Anderson? You, you were making that statement about your top prospect for those guys? Very frustrating stuff. And this is what I'm saying about the Phillies is that their plan is not clear at all. And they could they could certainly benefit from some clarity, which we thought they got with Joe Girardi. We thought they got with Dave Dombrowski, and it seems like they're still working it out. So I hope they just get there. Yeah, they, they just seem like, I don't know, in some ways they seem so on the right track. You know, the Bryce deal and, and JT Realmuto, and they have such, they have so many really excellent pieces. And at the same time, it, it just seems like they're like, 
they've been reactionary every moment since Bryce has gotten there. And now we're, yep. you know, three seasons in and it's like, well, maybe if you just made a plan, you'd be in a good place now instead of just kind of reacting every moment, trying to make sure you're competitive every single moment. And instead you're, you're, you're just still a 500 team, which is what you've been the entire time. And it's that, you know, at what point are you going to actually compete in the Bryce Harper era? Bryce looks great. He's still fun. He's still doing his thing. But you're got, I mean, and the division is out there to be had right now. But man, you gotta get some, gotta get something figured out. You can't keep having these gigantic holes on your team. Yeah, and, and that's really a great way to put it. Is that the division is up for grabs, and like you can't be willy nilly about grabbing it. You have to go for it. And I just, they just seem not to want to go all in. That that's very frustrating. You mentioned Bryce is off to a great start. Harper, of course, already has one point two FWAR. Uh, he had 1.6 all of last year in the abbreviated season uh, through 58 games and in just 22. So basically like a third of that, a little more. He's already got, uh, what, three quarters of it. And he looks like he's he could have the second best season of his career, which would be incredible. And I hope they don't waste it and other ones like it. Can I share, uh, you, uh, can I share a real quick thought about the Phillies? Absolutely. Just to make you feel bad about yourself and your future? Say, is it going to hurt me? Then no. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to hurt you. So I, have that, so I have this theory about Bryce Harper. That you know of the of the upper echelon stars, right? Of the guys who are really the three hundred million guys, the, the guys who are going to sign decade long deals. Bryce Harper is not at the top of that list. He's maybe on that list of guys who deserve that kind of deal, but he's near near the bottom of it. And as a kind of as a team that's then built around a middling super duper star that they have reflected that every step of the way so far as being kind of a middling team that, you know, a guy like Mookie Betts maybe raises your fortunes. You like, you want Bryce Harper. He's great. But of the soup of that super duper star of the top 15 players in the game, he's a middling super duper star. And I think so far that they have thought maybe that he would drag them, bring them up further than he has. And that they've been kind um, of a middling super duper team. Yeah, I think especially the end is a great point that they thought maybe he would float them more than he has, which isn't to say he hasn't done enough, uh, but certainly reflects maybe the kinds of evaluation skills that lead you to, to get Chase Anderson and Matt Moore as your solutions instead of believing in Spencer Howard or finding a way for him to, to develop in such a way that you believe in him. So uh, mission accomplished. I'm a little more sad. Uh, and yes. that... that <laughs> That leads me to somebody who actually makes me happy. Somebody I really want to cheer for is Mike Talkman, formerly of the Yankees, formerly of those Rockies we've spent so much time on today, getting traded to the John Giants for Wandy Peralta, another platoon-type bat they're going to seem to maybe get the most out of. Yeah, why not? Get him out there. Talkman's been really good at times, really kind of an interesting player. It'll be interesting to see what he can do. He's He graded out tremendously defensively you know, two years ago when he would got regular playing time was, you know, put up 2.6 war with the Yankees in 2019 last year, didn't really get the regular playing time. So it'll be interesting to see what the giants are able to do with him. I mean, the giants are famous for the work they do with corner outfielders, right? Yeah. Like year after year, they get corner outfielders who are nobodies and, and make it work with these guys. So, um, you know, he might be a short term. Is, is Yaz back yet? Yastrzemski? Uh, I'm not sure if he's back, but to me, this move also signaled he might be missing time, even if he is back, right? Like he, he might not be a hundred percent. 
Uh, it's funny you bring up Yaz, who we've talked about, is really enjoying before. I was speaking with somebody who said he's a little leery of the Giants getting guys, outfielders named Mike, who are a little old for the minors, who are lefty bats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that park's going to be, can play to talk on strengths. And, and, you know, the Giants really like strong defensive corner outfielders who maybe don't have typical corner outfield power bats. Yep. Talkman can fit that mold. He'll be a good guy. He can play opposite. Uh, you know, they're a little lefty strong there, but you know, I don't know that he makes for a perfect platoon partner with Alex Dickerson or with Yastrzemski, but you know, maybe they let Yaz play some center field some more and uh, you know, sit Austin Slater against tough righties. I mean, I don't know. He's just, he's another piece and he's a piece that was kind of wasted on the Yankees. So I'm glad to see him go, go somewhere else. And hopefully he finds some playing time there in San Francisco. Which makes us potentially sad about this next move. Ali Perez, a guy we've, you know, we, we found very endearing as somebody who's made a career, a very long career has been DFA'd by Cleveland. You think he ends up somewhere else this year? Or do you think this is maybe curtain call for him? I think he'll end up somewhere. I mean, there's enough need. Everybody needs bullpen guys. And he's been around forever. It's, it's a bummer to see him get DFA'd, but it's not like he was. It's not like he, he hadn't a, pitched well this year. He pitched fine. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of like the the Indians maybe just didn't need him. Numbers and crunch. you know, ready to move he, along. He, he's pitched three and two thirds. He has uh, he struck out twenty two percent while walking five point six percent. So above average K minus walk rate, which is always a good season indicator to look at for these kinds of guys. Uh, he, you know, he, he's not giving up like major bombs. He's throwing the same he was last year. Uh, he, he's just getting more grounders. I think it's kind of a weird move. I, I hope we talk about somebody snatching him up come this time next week. And I, I think it's pretty likely given what he's done. Um, but another Yankee note, they've got some funky stuff going on at catcher, don't they? They are committing a little more to getting Kyle Higashioka in the lineup over Gary Sanchez. Yeah, why not? He's He's been better. He's been the better player. Got Why not get him in there some more? I mean, Sanchez has not been good. Higashioka has been good. Can't it be that simple? Yeah, very simple arithmetic there, right? The, I mean, and, at least to and, split time more. I mean, you got Higashioka getting all the Cole starts. Give him Kluber starts and give him Montgomery starts or whoever else and let him go 60-40 in Higashioka's favor and, you know, see what happens with those guys. Well, that, that's kind of interesting. I, I saw, I think it was uh, Lindsay Adler of The Athletic posting that Marcus Tame says uh, he, he had instructed Higashioka to consider thinking about hitting the same way he thinks about catching. He's known for his defense, his catching, his managing, all that. So if you apply that kind of mindset to pitchers instead of the hitters you study, maybe you'll get some results, and here we are. <laughs> um, and, yeah, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned Kluber. Kluber started yesterday, I think, went six and a third that were really strong six and a third innings. So yeah, with Higashioka behind the plate. Him. Yep. I mean, it's yep. funny. I, I love those stories where, like, the advice can be so simple. It's just like, hey, dude, think about your hitting. You ever, you ever think about that? I mean, I go back to the uh, the Ben Zobris story of, like, before <laughs> Ben Zobris' breakout, like, the big piece of advice he got that really helped Zobris turn into, like, an MVP level player was to swing hard. He wasn't swinging hard every time he got up there. He was like, dude, swing hard every time. Every single time you go up, swing really hard. And he started doing that, and he started hitting the heck out of the ball. It's like sometimes it can be simple, but you can you get into modes of doing certain things, and sometimes you can forget those simple things of like, oh, yeah, might help to swing the bat hard, try to hit the yeah. ball hard. Yeah, I swear to God, no kidding at all, those stories are my favorite in baseball. Those like 
here's a little piece of advice. And then it's just swing harder or whatever they yeah. be. You know, or like pitchers realizing to like throw with intent every pitch. Like just incredible reframing. And that's what I mean when like people need bridges, right? We need bridges between these departments in a baseball team. We need people willing to say, have you just thought about this? In a really calm way, not like accusatory right. or condescending, just like, Hey man, swing harder. What if we swung harder? Like, right, because I mean, really somebody has the audacity to say that to a professional baseball player. Like, that's it. Swing, swing harder. Some, but somebody has to. Sometimes, sometimes you need somebody to say that. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, talking about swinging hard, this guy throws hard. The Rays have recalled Shane McClanahan, a lefty who can throw a hundred. Does that uh, paint a, a a different picture for the Rays for you, or is it so Rays? And when does he get sit down? You see that kind of move come up across your screen. How do you respond to it? Yeah, I mean he'll be up and down and, and back and forth. I mean he he was a guy who made his made his debut in the playoffs last year, so you know he we know he's a guy that they like. He can throw really hard. He looked good in the playoffs last year. At times he was kind of a, a mop up guy for them in those those couple of playoff games where he did some okay things. Didn't had had the throwing error. Didn't had some little baby blunders, but he's an exciting guy for them to watch. And he'll be another. You know the Rays don't have positional roles in their pitching staff like he's a guy who yeah. in the future might be 100 innings might be 150 innings or 120 innings but he's a he's going to come on and take kind of a another josh fleming kind of you know multi-purpose kind of role i think he's going to start in the bullpen and they'll use him for an inning or two or and see kind of just kind of play it by year and he'll be up and down as they continue to work in arms in and out all season yeah, and I think the comp to Fleming is really interesting because Fleming's like Fleming is the low octane version, right? He's he's the yeah. maxing out at ninety lefty, giving you the bulk, and McClanahan could be doing it with a hundred. So that right again, just I, the Rays are so fun from just like a puzzle standpoint and how they spin things together. Uh, and you know we've we've got a couple more retirements here in the early going of the season. Jerry Blevins, Hector Rondon, call it quits. Uh, you see that? How do you feel about those two and uh, calling it quits on their career? Hector Rondon, 2016 world champion with the Cubs. Congrats. He was a Rule 5 pick, twice replaced as the closer on championship teams, both for the Astros and the Cubs. The, uh, you know, always always good enough to be the closer on your second division team, not quite good <laughs> enough to be there on the, on the pro team. I mean, but he was a big piece of that, those, that Cubs title team. He, uh, yeah, Rule 5 pick, looked great. Big dude, threw, threw really hard. And they just wanted a little bit more security. And it was, what was too bad was that 2016 season, they went out and got Aroldis Chapman, who has, you know, moral issues at the time and was a was a tough get. But what was really too bad was that Rendon really kind of fell apart as once he was put in a setup role that season. But he was still a huge part of that Cubs team, 51 innings that year. I've got fond memories of Hector Rendon. Congrats to him. That's I, I, it's so lovely to hear stories like that and and like uh like an always the bridesmaid never the bride kind of way is yeah. really fun. But as much as it's a footnote, it's a great career. Like that's an incredible career. So absolutely kudos to him, Jerry Blevins. I just want to make the note that if if you go out and read his retirement statement that he that he put out to fans, he thanks a lot of people. It's a very sweet note. But the only person he says I love you to is his agent. I found that hilarious. <laughs> Blevins is kind of an interesting dude. I've always appreciated his sound bites. So I, I, I assume yeah. that he'll end up in a front office or something, but we'll, we'll see. He's a, you know, had a long career as a lefty. Was it 372 career fit, 354 career ERA, 609 Solid. career games, seven career Solid. saves. Heck yeah. Lock those, yeah, lock and, those and, saves down. And you know what? He, uh, he also said that he was going to be going to the Mets game today. So by the time you all hear this, 
yesterday's Mets game. It's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit in the stands and have a beer and a hot dog. I've never done that before. <laughs> never been able to do it. So like, again, it's just a little bit of charm, a little bit yeah. of charm to, to, to walk away from. And, and hopefully we get to keep seeing that personality pop up. Uh, so all this being said, again, so much happening through baseball. Uh, and as we go through the week that just happened and we get ready to take you through next week, TC, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at uh, MLB Trade Rumors. Uh, I'll have a piece coming out this Friday on pitcher lists, looking at the rest of the season for the Rockies, what we might expect from their interim GM. And uh, you can find me always on Twitter at TC Zenka, Z-E-N-C-K-A. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Jackson Says because I thought it would be really funny to make it Tim Jackson Says and then you see what I said. Uh, I like it. And I yeah, it's an odd to an old friend, John, uh, who, who uh, I think that was his AIM screen name, John, John <laughs> last name says. Uh, so definitely embracing that a little bit. So again, at Tim Jackson says you can find us at BreakingPodPL on Twitter. And you could email us any question or concern or possibilities for the Rockies at BreakingPodPL at gmail.com. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoyed it so much that you would be so kind and warm-hearted to rate us five stars and leave us something sweet as a comment. Uh, would help us in a, in a tremendous way, as always. Uh, we hope you had a great time listening. We hope you have the best week ever. We'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs>